Welcome back to another episode. Today we're going to hear part two of the stories of homeless people who lived in New Orleans during Hurricane Ida. One of the most untalked about, uncared about groups of people out there is the homeless. People tend to steer clear. But what do they do when a natural disaster strikes? Where do they go? How do they survive? Today, we conclude a two-part series that seeks to answer that question. I hope you'll stick around. I'm your host, Christian Ashleman, and this is Bed Letter. If you enjoy the show, the best way to lend your support is by heading over to bedletter.substack.com and subscribing. You'll be kept up to date on all new episode releases, as well as columns I write on a wide range of topics. There's a lot to check out, and it's all over there. Another great way to help out is by sharing this episode with someone you know who you think might find it interesting. One share does go a long way. The links to the Substack, my Twitter, and everything else can be found in the description of this episode. I hope you guys enjoy. As you heard at the first part of this Voices production, I spoke with Chris, a homeless man living in New Orleans. As my initial intention in going down to southern Louisiana was to speak with homeowners and evacuees, after my conversation with Chris, I pivoted and decided I wanted to gather the stories of the homeless who endured Hurricane Ida. Chris provided such an interesting and harrowing tale of what survival can look like in the midst of a natural disaster. I built some care packages to hand out to the homeless as a way of saying thank you for giving some, t- some of their time. As I spent the day gathering stories, conducting interviews, and listening to responses, I was overcome with a sense of wonder. It was amazing to me how kind-hearted some of these people were, how soft-spoken and unique they could be. I think all too often we pass homeless people and we barely spare them a thought, much less a dollar bill. Listening to them tell their stories gave me an important perspective that I believe I was overdue for. The first man I came in contact with after pivoting and deciding to talk with the homeless was a man named Elton. Elton was sitting by himself on a little curb on a sparsely populated stretch of sidewalk near the French market. And just for the bearing, the French market sits on the far northeastern corner of the French Quarter in New Orleans. On a typical day, the area sees a huge number of tourists, locals, musicians, and street sellers hustling and bustling about. Elton had found himself a secluded little area and was sitting alone, his backpack at his side, with a little notepad out. He appeared to be coloring or doodling on on the pad, although I couldn't make out what it was he was drawing as I approached. Elton's story is incredible, scary, and put some wild images in your head imagining what it must have been like being in his shoes. This is Elton's story. Um, so were you able to evacuate at all, or were you down here during No, I was out here, and me and a friend of mine were stuck in the French market, literally in the French market, the outdoor area where they sell stuff, looking directly across the street at the park. Uh, I can't remember the name of the park that's across the street. Uh, anyway, 
that's where we sat with a table over us and a small brick wall to our back. Wow. And that's so French Market just down here a little bit, right? Correct. Yeah. Wow. So you had uh, you say you had a, a, a brick a brick wall to your back. Yep, the brick wall the... was just a little bit taller than us and wide enough for us to put our backs against and the wind and everything was coming from our backs. Um it, it made a constant whistling sound and a constant roaring sound. Yeah. Sound, just like everybody said, a train sounded like a tornado. Yeah. Well, this didn't come and go. This was a constant roar. I mean, steady roar. Yeah. Then when it would slow down, it would pick right back up. Yeah. It, it, weird sound. Never heard it before, and I've been in three or four hurricanes. Really? So uh, I imagine you guys just got being outside. I mean, even under that pavilion, I imagine just still got soaking wet. Just oh yeah, and um, people may not believe it, but uh, it's hard to think that you would see animals actually flying in the air. Uh, we seen three cats in the air, probably good 30, 40 feet off the ground. Really? Um, We've seen a seven, what looked like a seven by seven foot wall. It was probably 100, 200 feet in the air, just go out of sight. Don't know where it came from. Yeah, it was wild. Just all kinds of stuff, just flying all over the place. Man, yeah, that's that's unbelievable. So, um, I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about the specific, like how when it when it was coming in, was there the opportunity to evacuate, or is or what was your, your situation? Um, there was opportunity, um, but we had heard that it wasn't gonna, you know, be that bad. We heard it was gonna be more heavy rain, but once it got to where the wind was coming in and then we would try to walk, you couldn't walk, you would slide. The wind would blow you and you would literally slide on your feet about three or four feet and then you would stop and then you realize I gotta get somewhere you know and that's the only place we were able to get to yeah it's the French market so we're when you're in the French market backs against the brick wall were you you, you said you had a table over your head and yep, you a, a small head. folding table one of those white folding tables okay did you how did you guys secure that was it trying to kept you know trying to blow away or anything with our hands just holding it down it flew away from us twice well I'll say flew away. It flipped upside down and landed about four feet in front of us and we were able to hold one of our, like, he held my foot and I scooted out and I grabbed it and yeah. pulled it back to me and he pulled me and the table back to him. We had to do that twice. Wow. So it wasn't just, you know, you couldn't just get up, walk out, grab it. It was like, oh no, you'd be like, almost like hanging off the cliff. You, you would literally probably blow away. Yeah. Yeah. I we saw... The street sign that had the um, street sign on it, like I said, yeah. just in an upright position, just at the base, just fold over and just bend. Really? That's incredible. Yeah, I was hearing that it was something like 120 plus mile an hour winds and just... I think it was more than that. I think it that. was stronger than what they said. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, Katrina never made that kind of a roar. Yeah. yeah. You, you would say 
this would, would you say this time the city was more prepared than than Katrina to kind of deal with all this, or was it kind of just equally? Well, I mean, nobody can prepare for levees breaking and stuff, you know. You can prepare all you want, but you're not going to prepare for water flooding you, you know. Yes. So how did, were you, how many, how long were you, and how many were with you under the table there? Just me and my friend. And your friend. From beginning to end. And how long was that? I don't even really know. It seemed like it started at four and it didn't stop till probably three in the morning, I think. Really? Okay. Really wasn't watching time. I mean, there was one point where we literally thought we were going to die because the trees in front of us, which are big trees, were literally bending and all you could hear was popping everywhere. Oh and then about that time, pieces of buildings just flying by us. And we thought we were gonna die, really. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you have the howling of the wind and the roar, like <clears> and uh, probably the last two or three hours of it. He did too. Did the same thing I did. We just closed our eyes and just fell asleep out of fear. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you ever heard of fear putting you to sleep, but that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, fear putting you to sleep. There's just so much. I imagine it just completely overwhelming anxiety and just the constant whistling and roaring just anxiety setting in getting aggravated frustrated yeah. it was just too much really yeah was it uh, and i imagine was it pretty cold i, I haven't been personally in a hurricane before but was it pretty didn't, cold? didn't think about the cold yeah something like that you know hot or cold it probably doesn't matter yeah. i i didn't think one thing about cold i just thought Get it over with. Hope I live. You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then another question I had is, did you guys see any kind of, like, what kinds of help did you guys see come in afterwards? Was it, you know, FEMA or anything like that, or, or was there anything that you noticed? Or? Well, get yeah, um, locals helping out and stuff like that. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, that's one thing I, I, I've heard from somebody else is, is big locals helping locals effort more so yeah. than almost anything else than government or anything else. Did you see anybody, any, uh, you know, like local people taking people into their houses at all? Or was it, was it just mostly helping with like, here's some food, water, stuff like um, that? There were a few that let people go in and take showers and stuff. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really interesting to consider the emphasis that Elton places on the sound of the hurricane, the way it was train-like, constantly roaring, never letting up. As I've said before, I've never personally been in a hurricane before. I can only imagine what it must have been like to endure such extreme conditions, one of them being that terrifying noise. Another aspect that Elton touches on that I hadn't heard, seeing cats flying around 30 to 40 feet up in the air. The French Quarter and many other areas of the city house their fair share of stray cats, 
but seeing live animals soaring through the air as a hurricane rips through isn't something that I had even considered or imagined at all until Elton told me about it. Along with the cats, seeing things like walls and other debris being blown around 30, 40, 50 feet up in the air lends not only to the sheer power of the weather, but to the need to get out of it. You never know what might come soaring by, and if it could be lethal to get hit by it. I mentioned in the interview that wind speeds were 120 miles an hour plus, but they in fact reached a max speed of 149 miles per hour. So Elton was actually correct in his guess when he said that he thought it was a lot higher speeds. One part that was reoccurring with many of the homeless people I spoke with was the fact that many were told it wouldn't be so bad. Since many homeless don't have constant access to digital information and updates, it's possible that they heard down the pike that it would only be a storm, only to receive the intel that it was a hurricane far too late, similar to how difficult it would be to obtain information about where and when services would be provided. In Elton's case, he was told the hurricane wouldn't be too bad, but in reality, it ended up with him having to hunker down and hope for his life. Most poignantly stated, when Elton talks about fear putting him to sleep, along with the scene he paints of his friend holding his foot while he scooted out beyond the wall to grab their table that had flipped over so he wouldn't get blown away. Truly incredible. After my interview with Elton, he asked if I was still recording, which I was for the moment. He asked if I would turn off the recorder, and I obliged. He then told me about circumstances involving the police in the aftermath of the hurricane. Elton details how, after the storm, him and some homeless folks were asking for help from the local police, for food, water, anything to help them get by. Elton told me that the police would specifically ignore them. He also went on to explain how, after a while, police officers told him and his friends that they had had enough and alluded to some bad things happening if they kept asking for help. The way Elton put it, he said they were alluding to beatings of some kind or physical violence or harm. Elton was my only source on this matter, so it's hard to know how the exact situation went down. Obviously, there are two sides to every story, but it's scary to imagine just how invisible these homeless individuals were during and after the storm, and even now. It's one thing for the police to ignore them, but something else entirely for the police to threaten them. I'm not sure if it was multiple officers or if it was just one officer who's having a terrible day or not, but even still, the chaotic aftermath of the hurricane cannot go unstated. I'm really grateful that Elton made it through the storm and glad he was willing to take the time and share his story with me. Thanks, Elton. There are a lot of fantastic things about speaking with the homeless. Their unique perspectives, their memorable stories, the jokes they crack, their little habits and accents. But there are aspects of engaging with them that are difficult, too. I wanted to bring up an interesting experience that was personal for me as I spent my time mingling with the homeless. Before I talk about this, I want to be very clear. I don't bring up the difficult aspects in order to villainize, demean, or degrade any of these homeless people. That would be the last thing I want to do. All the same, there were parts of engaging with them that were difficult for me personally. 
I think oftentimes when we see homeless people pass them on the sidewalk or in our cars, it's really easy to keep our distance. We don't often get close to them, like physically close. We don't often stand or sit near enough to see their features in detail or smell them even. As someone who is very clean and holds personal hygiene as an important tenet of my daily routine, I won't lie. It was very difficult to see the homeless individual's lack of it. Now, I understand why this is the case. There are more important things to worry about when you're homeless than, you know, brushing your teeth or flossing or applying facial lotion. They have to concern themselves with, you know, their next meal, their next bottle of water, where they're going to sleep, and so on. Survival. So there's this clashing of worlds, really, where I'm entering their space as a washed, clean, brushed person who likes those things, and I'm interacting with people who aren't thinking about those practices at all. For these interviews, I sat very close to the homeless, side by side in many cases. It was really easy to see their teeth, their open wounds and sores on their arms and face in some cases, their smells and their fingernails and hands. And that was really hard for me. It was incredibly uncomfortable. In some cases, I found myself disgusted. And I don't use that word lightly or as a way of demonizing these people. In fact, I found myself upset at myself for the natural response that was sort of bubbling up. But I'm weird, and when I feel responses like this, I want to know why. I want to peel it apart, figure out what's going on. Why am I uncomfortable? Why am I finding it difficult to engage in some ways? I don't like feeling some of these responses, but I'm also not scared of feeling around and figuring out why, so I can address it, handle it, and move on. I'm especially energized to root out those feelings when they have to do with other human beings. One of my favorite conversations I had was with a man named Eric. Eric was sitting on a park bench with a couple other homeless people around, which at first warded me off from approaching. Normally, I looked for people who were alone. I didn't want to be bombarded with groups of homeless who wanted free packages since I didn't even have enough to hand out openly. Next to Eric was an old man strumming away on his old guitar. That man was wearing a black top hat and had a funny, wiry, bushy beard. His eyes were a little wild, but his music was great. You'll hear it spread throughout my chat with Eric. There was also a man with a dog who had this permanent frown plastered on his face. And next to them sat Eric. I eventually decided to approach. Eric said with a huge smile, Yeah, man, sit down. I'll talk to you. And this is Eric's story. Were you able to evacuate at all, or did you stay here? I just, I thought, so, so I, uh, I stayed here through Katrina, right? And what, one of the things that I did was that I helped people, like, because the idea is, like, we got to move stuff around, ice, water, like, all these different things that people need because, like, the society, like, shut down, right? And so I thought I was, I stayed. Uh, Hurricane Ida came in on a Sunday night, right? And so I think the power went out at, like, 6 p.m. that night, right? I stayed for four days, and I helped 
I was like, as I said, you know, we need to like make sure that look, let me get this guy, this guy's phone number, blah blah blah. Where he needed to charge his phone at, blah 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 blah. My friend who lives uh, four blocks from me, he is uh, really no, he uh, runs what is called the Cool Red Beans, and he was like a clearinghouse. He was like doing that. So I was like, I was like, go and charge my phone at his house. And then we were rock, you know what I mean? But then, three days, four days, five days, and it just like wasn't really, nothing was getting better, right? It's like, it's the one thing that I really. But um, the one thing about so I so I I left on a week after I left on Sunday morning the next week after the storm right because it's like it's got it's got too crazy it's like I can't like around food right it was fucking hot as fuck right like. Can I, can I just describe something to you? I wish people would understand what that means, right? Like, I'm not afraid of the dark, right? I sleep in darkness, right? The absence of light was something that is totally different. Is that there is nowhere to go. Once the sun goes down, you're like, street lights, nothing, right? Yeah, it's like wet, hot. The sound of generators, which you don't know where they're coming from, but but and like, yeah, it's like tube dinners move around, but there's no lights on anywhere. You know what I mean? So yeah, no, and it's like it's like, and so the thing is, is what I'm what I worry about. As I said I was here with Katrina, like that PTSD came back and hit me so hard, right? Yeah, it just came back and just came down like crushing. Cause that's what I said. It's like I was like, I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna come and save the city. I'm gonna happen save the city again. I've done it before. No. <laughs> I fell apart. I fell apart. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But no, man. Like it's weird because. Like I said, I was on the East Coast just now. I, I went back to the East Coast for two weeks. I was in New York, I was in DC. And like, people were like, oh, New Orleans is gonna make it back. New Orleans is fine. They can do this shit. Blah, blah, blah. You know those people down there, blah, blah, blah. No, we need some help though. Yeah. <laughs> right? What kinds, of, what kinds of help have you guys seen? Is the government coming in and help? No, 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 no. I just told my friend. She owns a business just on the street. I said that, look, if you're looking for help, there ain't nobody coming, it's just us. <laughs> that seems to be the consensus yeah, I'm getting is right. locals yeah. helping locals. Yeah, really no, it is us. Me and you, yeah. No, man. So, uh, where where were you able to, you said you were able to get shelter at a friend's house? Is that what happened then? So I stayed at my house, right? Like, like, so my house actually did very well. I had to put a tarp on top of my roof, but my house did not, you know, nothing fell on it or whatever, but I, I made it better than most, right? But yeah, no, no. And so my friend, like, 
he's uh, you know, he's like like yo, cause he he uh, he's like a smart guy. Oh, you're good. Uh, like he got, he had like battery cells in his house and like oh, yeah. blah, blah blah. So like, like he was like, yeah, blah blah. blah. Like, come, come to my house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it was still catch as catch can. You know what I mean? Right? And I said, I live four blocks away from him, and I had to leave his house at six thirty because I could not get across Playborn, uh Street without the risk of getting hit by a fucking stray fucking car. Like, yeah. What the fuck are you doing driving out here? There's no fucking street yeah. lights, right? Yeah. Right. Oh my goodness. <laughs> right. chaotic. Yeah, no, it was super chaotic. Hey, no, I'm buying ice for my fucking next door neighbor. Like, what is this world? Yeah. So, so you were helping helping out some other neighbors and stuff? Too. Yeah, 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 no, we, uh, we, had, we had to put our, yeah, we had to put our fucking, yeah, feet. Beach of the fire, yeah, man. So, um, one thing that I, I think is interesting is I've heard some, I've heard people say before is that you know there's so many you know there's always hurricanes here there's always all this craziness and people wonder you know why people stick around what what, what would you say to that just that oh no 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 that's not even a question mm-hmm. right um so M one. New Orleans, New Orleans is the best kept secret in the United States of America, right? And number two, it's uh, the best third world country in the entire world, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So we got no, it's like that, like it is such a strange idea, and and, and, and the hurricane was a perfect illustration of that. Yeah, it was like, yo, if I have it. You have it. Oh, what? It was crazy. So, when we got to the fourth day with no power, right? Everybody like, well, we got to cook now. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to have to pull out the, the, the <laughs> Yeah, let's do it now. You need a beer? You need a burger? What? I, I don't know what I'm going to do all these ribs. I don't know what I'm going to do all these ribs. Yeah. Eric, do you know somebody? Blah, blah, blah. Who's got a generator? So, so, what was it like when the hurricane was coming in? You said you're, you, you, so, you, you so were at your house. So, I, I really okay. So, you asked me a question, and I wanted to come back to that question, right? But like, what you really figure out, especially in those moments, in that moment, right before when, like, oh, this might be bad, right? It's like you understand who the important people are and who's not important. Yeah. Right? And so, like, there could have been a, I want to say that I first got word of the storm on Monday, right? One of my best friends, I told her on Thursday, so like, right? She's like, oh, what? What's it about? Storm? Blah, 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 blah. Like, so that's my kid. <laughs> the storm is a little kept secret. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Because at the same time, because because uh, we, because it could, I don't want to say it could have been a, a full mandatory evacuation, but we could have got some buses up around here somewhere, yeah. right? You know what I mean? And no, no one knew, but, but ow, it's, it's too late. We didn't have enough fucking, dude, it was blowing 150 miles. An hour, yeah. right? It sounded like the craziest shit that I've ever heard my entire life. 
It's like, no one told anybody that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you'd think that they would be able to... I mean, they predicted it to some degree, but then all of a sudden it's here. And it was that was it was that after that Thursday, that Monday, even that next Sunday that it hit really hard, right? They said that it was gonna get bad on Thursday, but then they were like, "Yo, it keeps escalating, it keeps escalating." And then on Friday night, they said, "Judge, if you're not gonna leave, you have to stay." Mm-hmm. <laughs> at that point, <laughs> yeah, at that point, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess so. Right? You got three days. Stop. It was nine, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's cool that you, uh, you know, helped out the community. I think it, I think it's really awesome to see that Man. locals helping locals. It, so it's, it's weird. So. If what happened two weeks ago. What had happened in New York, we would be talking a whole different story, mm-hmm. right? My my friends, my friends, they work down there. I, I, I live, I'm a denizen of the quarter. I live down in the Marinian then, right? But, but, like, the one of the oldest sandwich shops in the entire country is a block away. It's called Central Grocery, mm-hmm. right? And then the place next to that, that is a newsstand, he, he opened a newsstand called Sydney's, right? So you would think that, hey, okay, it's just a business. It's not that big of a deal, blah, blah, blah. No, this is actually a real place in the country, blah, blah. I go by my New York Times from there, except I can't, right? And the thing is, we go, look, there's a fucking big ass hole blown on top of the building because fucking FEMA won't come and fix it. Because every time it rains, every time it rains, it's been what three weeks now? Yeah, it's, it was. It's been over a month. It just pours in through that hole. In a popular sandwich, you know, deli place. Right? Oh yeah. Every I, time you, every time you see the NFL on Fox, yeah, the guys chopping sandwiches. It's that place right there. Really? Yeah. And they've got a hole in their roof, and no one is. It's. It, they don't have the resources to fix it. People say they're coming, but. They're coming. Eric brought to light some very interesting aspects of surviving through Hurricane Ida. Firstly, I thought it was interesting to consider his remarks on the darkness. It's one thing for it to be nighttime, when there's still ambient lights, street lights, clear skies, and moonlight. But it's something else entirely to imagine an entire city existing, as Eric says, in the complete absence of light. With the power out, there were no street lights, no indoor lights, clouds covered the moon, nothing. His description of hearing generators and trying to guess where they were located was specifically memorable for me. Another thing he discussed was how his PTSD from surviving Hurricane Katrina hit him really hard. When a natural disaster hits, it's comforting to know that people like Eric want to help. His first inclination was to see who needed help to try and get the city back on its feet. But when the PTSD hit, he fell apart. And that's probably one of the most human experiences that I heard. These conflicting emotions, on one hand, trying to be a hero, and on the other, fighting your own demons and trauma. It's such a human experience, especially in the face of such turmoil 
and disaster. Eric talked about how when he visited the East Coast, cities like New York and D.C., people there were under the impression that New Orleans, or Louisiana as a whole, you know, had things under control. It's easy to fall into this mode of thinking being an outsider. It's easy to think, uh, they got through Katrina, and this one didn't reach that level, so no New Orleans has got this. No problem. They don't need help. It's easy to explain that away and feel that things are fine. As Eric said, they really do need help. They've needed help throughout this entire situation, and in many cases, they haven't gotten it. In many cases, it's been the local people who are still out there helping the local people. Similar to what Elton mentioned after my interview with him about the police, Eric described how when something like Ida hits, you really start to find out who the important people are. He later on describes how one of the most famous and oldest sandwich shops in the nation still currently has a hole in the roof where rainwater leaks in. And just to add a little more insult to the injury, this shop is the one that they play clips of between halftime and timeout breaks during Saints NFL home games. Now, it's likely the clips that they play are stock clips recorded a while back, but all the same, it's unfortunate to see that the history is cool to tout. It's great to run video of the shop, and yet, a month and a half after the hurricane, the shop is still allegedly trying to receive help from FEMA or anyone else to repair the hole. I'm sure the advent of COVID hasn't helped either. My favorite quote from Eric was when he said, New Orleans is the best kept secret in the country. It's also the best third world country in the world. We both laughed pretty hard at that one, and I think it's because that's a joke that has some undeniably true parts to it. A huge thank you to Eric for spending some time with me to chat about his story through Hurricane Ida. While walking down the riverfront in the French Quarter, I came upon a woman about to light a cigarette off under the shade of a tree. She had several bags with her, a bike, and an umbrella that was open, laying on the ground. Snoozing in the shade of the umbrella was a man. I approached her and asked if she was in New Orleans during Hurricane Ida, and she informed me that she was and that she would be happy to tell me about her experience. I plopped down in the grass next to her and listened. This is Stephanie's story. Um, were you uh, were you guys able to evacuate at all, or were you, did you weather it out here? I mean, it was it was an option, but um, I was going to... I mean, I, we, my dad, you know, gave me some money to get into a hotel, so we just stayed in a hotel. But unfortunately, they kicked us out of the hotel the day after the hurricane, so we were kind of like... You know, they, they were like... We don't. Our sprinkler systems aren't working, and we were just like, "Well, I'd much rather weather our sprinkler system than a knife, you know?" <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I imagine right. Hurricane didn't just end in its nice weather. Right. right? Like, so it was kind of it was kind of hard, you know, the, the the day after. Actually, I mean, it wasn't so much the, during the hurricane because I mean, I've been through hurricanes. Like I said, I'm born in from I'm from here, so this is, you know, anything past a three, I'm not really too worried about, you know, yeah. category three. But um, you know, it's just. You know, it's it's more of an, like an uh, inconvenience than anything. Yeah. You know? Was there uh, in this area? Did you guys see a lot of flooding at all, or was it? Was it no. They no. Managed and to I mean, this because we were in the French Quarter, and I mean, like you know, the French Quarter is the pretty much the highest point in the city. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, there, there wasn't really a lot of flooding. It was just a lot of wind damage. Yeah. yeah, a lot of wind damage. So, what was it like? You know, the hurricane's coming in. You guys are trying to figure out where to go, what to do. Um, you know, obviously you have your stuff. Is 
did they allow you to bring that into the hotel or how did that kind of just how did that whole thing work out how did you find out about the hotel and where to go I mean it was you know you, you hear about it on the news you know you kind of prepare yourself like a week beforehand you know like okay well this might be not this might be a situation this might be something that I'm gonna have to worry about and you kind of wrap your head around it a little bit earlier than you know the day before you know so like it's not it's it, at least for me it wasn't I mean I'm sure there might be people with different you know answers to that but um for me it wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal it was just like okay find a hotel get into a hotel and, and they were fine with like you know I mean I didn't have a bunch of stuff you know but like it was just going checking in you know riding it out <laughs> was it uh when you guys ended up getting kicked out of the hotel was it you know, made it back out on the you're out on the street again. Was it was it pretty chaotic out there then? Was the storm kind of dissipating at that point? It was. Or how did how did you find shelter? Then? It was scary because of the fact that there was no electricity and like it got really dark. You know, like yeah. it was it was really dark in the city and like like I remember I had to ride my bike out to off like down out of the French Quarter for one night to go to get you know run an errand or something for somebody and. I didn't have any lights on my bike or anything like that, and I, I was worried more about the potholes, you know, like running over potholes and like <laughs> popping a tire than anything. But it was, you know, it was a little scary. But um, you know, I had some friends around. We, you know, we were around a bunch of friends and stuff like that. So we kind of just stayed kind of close knit to each other and kind of kept, you know, each other safe, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So was it? There was. So there was no street lights. No, no, you know, red, green, you know, yellow no. uh-huh. street lights. Or- no. Nothing. Not nothing. Nothing. Flight, nothing. I, I want to say for about roughly about three or four days there was no electricity, and like, and they were saying if, at the, in the beginning they were saying it was going to take like three weeks for electricity to come back, and we were just like, God, that sucks, you know. But like, um, it ended up coming back. I mean, like, the French Quarter is going to always be the first place that the electricity is going to come back on because that's where the tourists come, you know. So they need to have the electricity on for that. But. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it was it was a little bit scary for a second there, you know, like, because, I mean, I, I, I've been, I was, you know, I was here for Katrina, and we we actually evacuated to Baton Rouge, which still got just as much, da- you know, yeah. wind damage as, you know, over here, um, and, yeah, we, I mean, I was, I was actually living on the 17th Street Canal during the, during Katrina, which I wasn't aware that was the 17th Street Canal, because I had just moved there, and, um, you know, I'm watching my, the, the levees being breached on the little television that we had in Baton Rouge, and I'm like, that looks a lot like the tree in front of my house. Oh, that is the tree in front of my house, you know, so, but yeah, so I, we didn't get to go back until about, we were the last ones that they allowed to go back and see if we, you know, could salvage anything, and uh, that was about two months after the hurricane, so, you know, I mean, I had been through rougher situations, you know, so this was nothing in comparison to the Katrina, I don't think, you know, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, so, if there was no electricity and stuff like that, uh, just have been, having been in situations like that before, did you guys, is it, is there a lot of, does crime go up at all during situations like that, or is oh, it people yeah. more band together? Or? I mean, you, of course there's going to be crime, you yeah. know, like, there's no, there's no surveillance, there's no, like, alarm systems being yeah. triggered, so of course, you know, you're going to have people looting and doing stupid stuff, you know, but, um, that's not something that I'm about, you know, like, I don't, you know, I think that, you know, the store owners are just as vulnerable as we are, you know, and, you know, it's, I mean, that, you know, I don't know, I just don't feel right about doing stuff like that, you know, but, um, but yeah, it is, I mean, like, the crime does go up, but, like I said, you just stick close to your friends, and, you know, 
when you're out here, at least. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, keeping trust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that definitely makes sense. Um, one thing I've heard before, and I'm not, I'm from Georgia, like I said. Um, one thing I've heard before is the idea, I've heard some people say, oh, people live in, in New Orleans, or people live in these super dangerous hurricane pathing areas and stuff. Why, why, why live there? Why, why not just leave? Why not go somewhere else? So I'm just wondering kind of what you would say to people who... who well, I, I, my answer would be why live in a place that has earthquakes? Why live in a place that has tornadoes? You know, I mean, every place is going to have some sort of, you know, economic danger to it, I guess. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, you can't... The earth is the earth, you know? You can't control, like, the weather. I mean, like, I, I'm much... I mean, I, you know, being from here, like, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to go through an earthquake, you know? Like, that would be so scary to me. Like, I would never want to live on a fault line, you know? But, like, I'm sure they would say the same thing about living in, through, you know, in a place where it's vulnerable to have, to, you know, hurricanes, you know? It's just... You grow up around it, you get used to it, you know? And it's... I mean, like, I remember when I was younger, like, we would, I mean, it was kind of, I mean, we played, a, you know, my parents made it more of, like, a, a, a game, you know, like, it was like, okay, the electricity's off, so we get to play with candles, you know, <laughs> like, and I mean, like, it's really cool to be, actually go through an eye of the hurricane, you know, because everything's, like, really weird and quiet, and, like, all the, like, it's, like, negatively charged in the air, you know, so, like, your hair standing up on the, the back of your neck, and, like, it's really creepy to go through, but it's also very cool, you know, like, so, um, yeah, I mean, that's what I would say. It's just like, you know, you, you can't really get away from everything, you know? <laughs> yeah, I met, and I met, I mean, I imagine, I'm speaking to one, one fellow who was saying, yeah, this is home. Yeah, I mean, like, this is... The hill. I couldn't imagine living anywhere else. I mean, it's. It, I always say it's kind of like a handicap to leave from New Orleans because there's no other place like this place, you know? Like, I'd, much, I'd be more inclined to move to a different country than I would be to a different state because yeah. it's just so different here you know? <laughs> like, yeah i've only been here for a couple of days and I've, it, it, it feels like more of a people are more tight-knit here people mm-hmm. are more like the architecture is awesome oh thank you, you know, yeah. it's, it's definitely very i don't know it just feels cozy and yeah like people it's i mean it's it's definitely um it's hard to leave yeah it's hard to leave and like a, a lot of people get stuck here you know and and i say that but like in a good way though you know like it's just like you're from here you you know you have your roots here and you, you just like you know, I don't know like it's just it's home it's just home I mean there's you can I mean there's a smell in the air that you can smell once you get off the plane you know like literally you know like that smell of jasmine you know like the spices and stuff in the air so so it's really cool I, I like I like the fact that I'm from here you know yeah Stephanie's story is particularly interesting because she was able to find some shelter inside a hotel while some people didn't have the resources to pay for hotel rooms, Stephanie was able to get some money from her dad and spend the craziest night of the storm under a roof. That being said, I find it funny when she mentions how the hotel ended up kicking her out because the anti-fire sprinkler system in the hotel wasn't working. The irony here runs deep. That failure of the sprinkler system had her going back out into the storm. A unique point that Stephanie made was when she mentioned that many people who have always lived in New Orleans saw this mostly as just an inconvenience. At one point, she even mentions that when she was young, her mother would make a game out of it. Being someone who's never been in a hurricane, when I think about it, I always imagine it as completely chaotic, people panicking, and so on. But that's not the case for many people. This is just business as usual for, for some people. 
Another point that Stephanie affirms was just how dark it gets in the city when there is no electricity, similar to what Eric mentioned. I can't imagine how terrifying it must have been riding her bike through the city with people around, some people looting, some crime, and the aftermath of the storm, not knowing if there was a pothole or a tree branch or other debris laying in the road in front of her. Luckily, the French Quarter takes a big priority when assessing where to get the power back on first. As Stephanie put it, that's where the tourist center is, so that's where the power would be restored first. I like what Stephanie said about taking the risk of hurricanes on while living in New Orleans. Everything has some con to it. Everywhere is going to have its thing. You just have to pick what that thing is. Some places have blizzards, others have earthquakes, and some have floods. Mother Nature spares no one when it comes to her natural disasters. But as Stephanie said, New Orleans is home. She put it best when she stated, It feels like a handicap being from this place. It's so unique, I can't imagine living anywhere else. Thank you, Stephanie, for taking the time to share your story. As I picked through the French Quarter trying to find another person to interview, I happened upon a man named Lane. He was crouched down, one knee to the sidewalk, the other one tucked up to his chest, painting on a small square surface. Next to him were two other little paintings he had already completed, both of them displaying the fleur-de-lis, painted in different explosions of color. Lane was positive and never hesitated when I asked if I could speak with him about his experience during the hurricane. This is Lane's story. Were you able to evacuate at all, or were you in this area when that happened? No, um, the mayor came on and said that he didn't have time to evacuate people. I couldn't do it on my own, um, so we had to, she just told her just to hunker down and, and, and stay here. Yeah. We didn't even have a chance to even get out if we wanted to, Yeah, you know, not, not I. Um, so I stayed here, I stayed through it. Yeah. Were you able to, so tell me a little bit about what your experience was through the, through the hurricane. Were you, where did you find shelter? Did you find shelter? I have an apartment. Okay. I have an apartment straight down St. Philip on Broad, which okay. is about 20 blocks from here. Okay. Um, I stayed inside the whole time. Wind, the wind was pretty, pretty strong. It's the strongest one. I'm, I'm originally from Louisiana. Okay. And uh, I came, I wasn't here for Katrina, but I came right after. Um, so this was probably my worst hurricane. It was pretty, it was pretty intense, like they said, only because it stayed for so long. Yeah kind of stopped on top of us and uh it was pretty bad for a while yeah so you, you were stayed pretty hunkered down in your apartment yeah i was in my apartment like did you any property damage anything like that nothing no nope. nothing that's at all good that's <laughs> yeah i was i was one of the lucky few yeah i mean i walked out the door and trees down everywhere yeah but i was kind of lucky where i was at yeah yeah, yeah. have you guys seen any help coming in you know from other organizations or fema or anything like that or they were here for a week. They was in Armstrong Park handing out water and food. And I haven't seen anything since. Um, I went online and did the FEMA thing. And they kept telling me my information is wrong. So they have to, they have to call them. So I haven't even called. I haven't even bothered with it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of the consensus I've been getting is it's like they were here and then they just disappeared and now everyone's wondering what's going on. Yeah. I mean, it's just like nothing you know I don't, I don't understand why they wasn't here longer 
You know, like I said, it was here for about a week. Yeah. And they were gone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and there's definitely there's definitely still people who are in need who are and, and structural damage all over the place and stuff. I like mean, that. all the food that I threw out of my refrigerator, it's been over a month now. I have not replaced a single item in my refrigerator. I haven't been able to. Yeah. You know, and, and that's kind of a shame you know, that we're not getting any kind. Of yeah, any help. You know, I was I I was homeless. I've been homeless for a long time. And just four months ago, I just got my apartment. So I'm really, really struggling right now. I'm an artist, but nobody's in town. Yeah. You know, nobody's been in town, especially with the virus going on. Yeah. And that just adds a whole nother layer. It just adds, the hurricane just added on and just, yeah. So it's been rough. Yeah. It's been rough with no help. Yeah. Do you, uh, so do you, do you paint and sell these, these on the street then? Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. Is that, uh, and you're saying that's been pretty difficult to do just with you yeah, tourism actually, go down I a lot? I sold stuff. one this morning. That's that good. was my first one since July. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So it's definitely been lots of, like, uh, definitely a hit to the tourism, so there hasn't been as many people Very around. Very big. Very like big. This, I think this past weekend has been the best weekend I've seen so far. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess the hope there is that it keeps going up keeps getting better i guess hopefully right you would um, hope it, it does yeah because this is usually right now this time of year i remember 2019 um when you couldn't hardly walk through the streets that was so many people yeah you know yeah. now look at it yeah that's i've never been here before i i went down to bourbon street and i've always heard oh it's shoulder to shoulder down there right now you can just walk right down that's the right. center and even on a saturday anywhere. night it's just it's not like it used to be yeah not even half so it, it, we're taking a big hit here. Yeah, taking a big hit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a tough time. So one thing that I've one thing that I've heard people say before um, that don't live here, they you know they look at places like this that are right in the middle of hurricane paths every every year, you know, and and they wonder why do people live there, why do they stay there, all that stuff. So what what, what would you kind of say to that? Well, I was born and raised in Louisiana. Yeah. Um, I moved one time to Minnesota. No, I rather I rather I rather live here yeah. and deal with a hurricane yeah. than go up there and eat their nasty food and all this other stuff. You guys do have good food down there. Right. Tell you so what. I mean, you can't you can't beat it. Yeah, you really can't. You really can't. I mean, it's just it's a good place to live. You know, I mean, we we do get hurricanes, but what two bad ones in my whole lifetime yeah. you know really yeah, so i mean you gotta every place is gonna have it every you go to california you yeah. gotta deal with fires earthquakes yeah. you go to kansas or whatever you gotta deal with tornadoes yeah. you go to minnesota you gotta deal with storms with snow yeah. so everywhere has got something yeah you know everywhere has got something yeah. negative to be so i think here's the best place yeah even with a hurricane, we got good food, music, everything. Yeah, just a good place to be. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, I love it here. Yeah, it's it's one thing that I've noticed a lot. I've, this is my first time here. Is that, um, and I've I lived near Atlanta. I've lived near. Uh, I've lived in Salt Lake City in Utah. Um, great places, but one thing I have noticed about this place is everybody seems very, like, very chummy with each other. Very tight knit. Very like you know. Yeah. I don't know, just it's, that's it's the it's culture. I guess. Pretty close. I mean, I haven't been here for two years, and um, pretty well known. 
out here. And I'm pretty respected out here, even though I was homeless and whatever. Everybody seems to have a, a respect for circumstances. They don't, they don't just judge you yeah. because of your situation. Yeah. You know, some people are down and out because they want to. Some people aren't. So, for the most part, people are pretty good here. Yeah. We're pretty friendly. Yeah. We try to be. Oh, yeah. You know, I know I am. Until you, until you're mean to me, I won't be mean to you. You yeah. know. No, I, de- I definitely get that that vibe that everybody here is very tight knit, very respectful. Yeah, they respect it's, each other. It's a close community. Yeah. Very, very close. Well, that's, and that's good. I mean, given hard times like Ida and stuff like that, that's what you need. That's and what I'm hearing is that more than FEMA or any other organization, the thing that's been helping people the most is locals helping locals. And that's and that's pretty much, if it wouldn't be for that, yeah, we'd never make it. Yeah. You know, nobody would make it. Yeah. You can't depend on FEMA and, and the government. Yeah. You just can't. Yeah. They're here for a week and they disappear. Where'd they go? <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, you know, I mean... People still don't have power, I'm sure, in some places, you know, so they, they, should, they should all be here, you know. I just don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lang, I appreciate it. Uh, taking the time to, 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 you know, chat with me a little bit about what your situation was and sure. about what kind of happened. Out of the gate, we find out that Lane had an apartment, and he was able to hunker down in that apartment throughout the hurricane. Amazingly enough, he was spared from any serious property damage, so I was quite grateful to hear that. Lane is an artist, and one of the biggest impacts he's seen from the hurricane is the plummet in tourism. Where you used to be hard-pressed to walk straight down Bourbon Street in the evening hours on a weekend night, at the time I was in New Orleans, you could nearly walk right down and not bump into anyone. There were still people, for sure, walking around, but nothing like what I've heard and nothing like what Lane has seen in the past. This is not only due to Hurricane Ida, but also the advent of COVID-19. This massive decline in tourism has really affected Lane's ability to sell his art. I was surprised to hear that the piece he sold that morning was the first one he'd sold since July. Lane did mention that that weekend there was the most people he'd seen in a while. So hopefully, tourists are returning and things will begin to return back to the baseline level. Lane makes a solid point in reaffirming the things that Stephanie said, in that everywhere you go, you're going to find pros and cons. New Orleans just has way too many pros for the people to up and leave. It's a unique place with great food and wonderful music. I loved the point he made about moving to Minnesota but not liking their food. New Orleans does have a claim on unique and delicious Cajun food, that is for sure. Lane also provides the perfect ending point for this Voices series. Nola doesn't judge you for where you're at. Nola doesn't care whether you're black, white, brown, purple, green, yellow, or everything in between. It doesn't care where you come from, doesn't care where you're going. New Orleans does the best thing a place can do. It acknowledges that you're a human too. You're having a human experience. It'll love you all the same. I felt a lot of emotions and feelings during my time in New Orleans, but I can tell you this. Judgment was never one of them. The people there want to have a good time. They want to love. They want to cheer and play saxophone loud and strum their guitars and eat so much damn Cajun food you'd think their shores would run out. And they don't just want to do all that stuff. They really do it. They live for it. They help one another, and just like Lane said, they wouldn't make it if they didn't. 
I'm so grateful for the couple days I got to spend there in New Orleans, for all the wonderful people I talked with, and for all the wild stories they shared with me. Humans are beautiful, and don't you forget it. Thank you so much for sticking around and listening to these people. And if you ever have the chance to visit NOLA, you better do it. Don't hesitate. If you had a favorite interview or thoughts about the homeless enduring Hurricane Ida, you can share that with me either in my comments on Substack or over on my Twitter. My handle is at Ashleman. that's at C-A-S-H-L-I-M-A-N. These individuals have such interesting personalities, stories, and tons of nuance. It was so fascinating to have the chance to sit down and hear from them. I'd love to know what your takeaways were and what you enjoyed or didn't about these discussions. Remember, the best way to support the show is by heading over to bedletter.substack.com and subscribing. Also, if you enjoyed the episode, please share it with someone you know. One share really does go a long way. The links to everything can be found in the description of this episode. I hope you have an amazing week. I'm Christian. This is Bedletter, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.